This is Adapting, the future of Jewish education, powered by the Jewish Education Project and Jewish Live. I'm David Breifman. Hi, everybody. I'm here today with my colleague and friend, Carly Orshan from Miami, and I'm going to get stuck straight into this conversation by asking her to introduce herself, and you're going to see very shortly why I've asked her to be one of the people to appear on this series. So, Carly, over to you. Tell us a bit about yourself. Wonderful. Thank you, David. I'm excited to be here. I am from Miami, born and raised, and work right now for the Center for the Advancement of Jewish Education. We call it SAGE with a soft C in Miami, Florida. Um, At SAGE, I serve as the director of our teen department and um, supervise some of our direct service um, projects with the teens in the community, such as Diller Teen Fellows, working on the March of Living, developing all the educational development for that program. And uh, we've also developed the Jewish Life Coaching Certification Program to help professionals, specifically those working with teens in the community, to become coaches um, and, you know, help enhance their mentorship with teens. Um, And we did this in partnership with the Covenant Foundation, which we received a grant for. Um, That's just a little bit of uh, the work that I'm doing. I'm also getting my PhD in education. Um, in curriculum and instruction. So I'm also uh, always looking at how to improve upon and evaluate the programs that we're working on. Um, And so that's a big part of uh, the work that I do and um, move into the work that I do. Uh, Before I came into Jewish education, I was a Jewish uh, yoga instructor and a general yoga instructor. So I come with that background and that hat as well, um, which especially during these times has been very helpful in, in everything that's going on. Great. So we'll talk a bit about that in a few moments. But um, while I've got you here, I would like to um, expand the the thinking of some of our listeners out there. Tell us a bit about Miami Jewry and and Jewish education in Miami, because um, often we're going to get critiqued. I know that we think of Jewish education taking place on the coast, but I want to talk about Miami because there are some really interesting demographic trends that we see in Miami, which I think are really important for our listeners to know about partly because I think there actually are or at least becoming more normative for what will be Jewish America moving forward. But tell us a bit about Miami for now. Absolutely. So Miami is um, a big melting pot, um, but a heavily Latin community. um, And that definitely has influenced our Jewish community and our Jewish culture in Miami. Um, So we have... um, three very somewhat diverse communities in Miami um, that all kind of mesh together um, and are, you know, 20 minutes to an hour apart, depending on Miami traffic. Um, and um, all of those different pockets have representations of, of um, immigrant families. You know, we have families from, you know, a lot of families from Israel, a lot of Russian immigrant families, Um, and specifically a lot of families from the Latin community. And that certainly has shaped um, the way in which we're engaging with them, um, engaging with the communities. We also have very diverse um, religious communities because once um, we have the Latin communities, uh, many of them self-identify as Orthodox and um, they might practice more in a what we deem in American Jewry as a conservative way, but they're self-identifying as Orthodox. And so the the lines of what reform, conservative, Orthodox 
traditional is in Miami is very much blurred as a result of the melting pot in which we're living. So talk to me also a bit about the age spread of the jury in Miami. Now, I don't want to cast any stereotypical aspersions here, um, but I am interested particularly in the in the role the Holocaust um, survivor generation does play in Miami and the way that that also plays into your work as a teen educator. You'll be able to make the link pretty clearly for our educators out here, but I want you to just talk a bit about that for a second. Certainly. So, um, you know, Everyone knows that you come to Miami to retire. So, um, you know, we everyone thinks that we we have most of the elderly people. In the last several years, it actually has shifted, and they're not necessarily all in our bu- bucket because they've moved more to Broward, which is just you know right on the cusp. Um, but with that being said, we do have a number of Holocaust survivors. Um, and I, I don't have the exact numbers right now, but um, we do serve a lot of the Holocaust survivors in the community um, that are in Miami-Dade and even those that are in Broward are, you know, have touch points with our Holocaust Memorial, for example, or even our March of Living program. Um, and we also have some other, you know, leadership programs for, um, we have one for uh, uh college students and graduate students at the University of Miami that are partnered with Holocaust survivors. Um, there was actually just a, a great documentary that was done. Um, called It's called My Survivor uh, to showcase the last, um, I'm forgetting how long they've been doing this program, but quite a while. Um, what, what that has um, been for the community for Jewish and non-Jewish students. Um, and it was actually just uh, broadcasted on our local PBS station um, last week on Yom HaShoah. So there's that. There's also opportunities for, you know, young teens to get involved. We have a Young Lions program, which um, bar and bat mitzvah age um, teenagers get partnered with a survivor in the community, really helping them, learning from them and so forth. But we are seeing a decline, obviously, in those survivors um, and in um, that that age demographic. Um, we've also seen such a, quite a large shift. Um, you know, the Jewish community in Miami used to be heavily focused in the South, South Dade, and now it's moved up very much so into North Miami or Aventura area. And so all of these different shifts and trends are certainly informing the way in which we're educating and how we're thinking about the structure of the demographics. Okay. So with all of those demographics in the background, those sociological understandings there, um, how do you see, or what do you see as the purpose of Jewish education when you're trying to educate young people today? Yeah. So um, that's a big question. Um, You know, I think that in Jewish education, we're trying to hit on so many different pieces right? I even touched on a few of them, right? We're trying to connect with survivors and and learn from our our past. We're trying to um, understand our Jewish identity with all these different labels and denominations and so forth. And we certainly touch on a lot of that. And I think that that is important. But I think above all of that, um, a lot of our goals, at least certainly my goal in which we infuse the work that we do, in which we coach other programs on how to infuse their work, is to help really create a space to allow uh, people, specifically teens, to grow and thrive, to help them become you know, better human beings. If we are not able to be strong individuals, then we can't be strong Jewish individuals. And so a lot of our, our thinking 
almost probably every program that we are doing personally or that we um, are collaborating with when we're uh, mentoring the professionals in the community, we have this underlying tone, right? How is this going to help these individual teens grow? How is it going to help shape who they are as individuals? What is the purpose of that? Um, and so if it is to match them up with a Holocaust survivor, you know, what is the overall goal with that? How is that going to help shape who they are? Um, and we see it, you know, last week, a team that went on the march a few years ago, you know, went gloves, masks, everything, you know, head to toe covering to our 101 year old Holocaust survivor that she met through the program, you know, to deliver food because he had nothing, right? And she just called him up and was like, do you need anything? And she went. And those are, you know, those moments that I think that we're helping these people engage in society and in their communities in meaningful ways. And that's, you know, the best goal that we can, we can give. So let me ask this sort of maybe a strange question, um, but given your background, I think it's an important one. Like some of the things you just said, um, people or young people could achieve through yoga. Um, they can become better versions of themselves and they can become thriving. And some might argue that um, yoga is a really, really great way to help people just become in balance with themselves and just and do what they need to do to be the human beings. Um, and now you've got this Jewish education piece here as well. So like, like what's the difference or is there a difference between what you do in yoga and what you do in Jewish education? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's definitely similarities. And certainly in my yoga, it's blurred because I bring in Jewish concepts. But uh, I think... What? <laughs> You're confusing me here. All right, go, yeah. <laughs> um, but in, you know, I think that the difference is that in the work that we're doing, we're, we're helping them um, to think about how they're going to be good individuals through a Jewish lens. Um, and we are using Judaism as the platform or the catalyst to kind of shed the light on exploring who they are as individuals. And so um, as opposed to just saying, you know, let's use, you know, the Sanskrit thinking or the Buddhist understanding, we're using what is Judaism saying about being a good person or about supporting each other or about community and, you know, anything um, in between, you know, even the, the difficult stuff, like what does Judaism say about, you know, the difficulties that you're having with your friends? Um, you know, a lot of teens are struggle with the shown hurrah, right? They're, they're constantly worried about how they're communicating with each other or with, you know, different friend groups and what they're saying. And is this being bad? Is this being okay? What's okay to share? What's not okay? And, and all of those boundaries. And so I think once we label it and we give it a name that Judaism can foster, we can then talk to them about these very real issues that everybody faces. They're universal, but we can bring it into the particular of, you know, a Jewish concept. Sorry for pushing you on this, but it's something of real interest to me. Like what happens if you actually find a better source in Sanskrit or, or in something else, right? Like, I know you've got this desire to bring this Jewish lens to it. Um, but like if popular culture has a, a, has a lyric in a song that's going to help you get there quicker and faster and, and more resonating with these kids today, um, are you going to preference the Jewish text or the Jewish value more? Or like, how do you play that out? So it's interesting. Um, in, 
and I, I think I wear two different hats with this. Um, I think it depends on the educator's comfortability and what they're able to do. So the different hats that I wear is sometimes when I'm working directly with teens, which now is, is not as much as I, I used to be, um, I would feel comfortable to push the Jewish framework um, because of my background, because of where you know I'm coming from. And I think that the, the other hat, when I'm working with professionals in the field, especially younger or newer professionals in the field, um, they might not have that same comfortability. So a lot of what I'm doing now is giving them both options and giving them, here's, here's side one, right? Here's the beautiful thing that Judaism can, can say about this. I want you to learn it. I want you to wrestle with it as professionals. I want you to think about it so that you can feel comfortable hopefully sharing it with the team. But if not, here's the other way of sharing it with the team, right? Um, an example that we've had with that is with the, um, we did a project with Dear Evan Hansen. We all went to go see it. Um, we did a tech study um, on it. And even though we did a tech study and now I'm forgetting what the, the text was, I have to pull it up. Um, but it was about, um, you know, the world being pulled apart in two different sides. You know, on the one hand, you have, um, you know, everything. On the other hand, you, you, you don't have anything. And um, they really wrestled with it. But when I asked them how they may have used this, like when they, uh, six months later, they said that they leaned into the song, You Will Be Found. And they used the song more than the text. So did it enrich the teens Jewishly, I'm not sure, but it certainly enriched the professionals. And they may have paused when they were sharing it, or maybe they mentioned, you know, Judaism has a source for this, um, whether or not they used it. Um, and I think that it comes down to the professional and their comfortability. Yeah, I think you're touching on a whole lot of really important issues. One being that um, the Jewish education right now might have a scarcity of Jewish educators who are proficient enough in traditional Jewish learning and therefore struggling to convey that to their teens or their youth, which I think is a big problem um, in general that we might be facing. Um, and I think you're talking about the other, the other broader issues as well in terms of um, that these kids are kids and what resonates with them is what resonates with them. And um, that's going to be a constant struggle because what you're not talking about is um, the inverse, which would be, I think, guess some form of indoctrination where you're telling this is the only way to lead your lives. Um, let's, let's leave that for now. Let's jump to another area where I think you've touched on. And just to make sure our listeners know, we're recording this actually in the week after Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Remembrance Day. I'm particularly interested in um, your work involved with the March of the Living and um, what impact you see it having on young people today, what role you think the Holocaust has in, in the memory and the, and the, I think actually the future for young people today. Talk a bit about that. And then I want to speak a bit about the pedagogy of the march as well, because I know that's come under some sort of scrutiny as well in the past as well. But tell us your experience about the March of the Living. Absolutely. So um, with the march, I've seen and we've done um, an evolution with the program. You know, last year we did a huge strategic plan to identify where we can move the program the next three to five years, mostly looking at, you know, the Gen Now research and thinking about how we are able to, you know, modify the program for teens today. And I think that, you know, in Miami, we were the, one of the first years that went on, you know, we were 
the, the incubator group in 1988 that went on the march, um, you know, for the, the U.S. And um, I think that, you know, there was a certain mottos and certain traditions that were embedded into the program that may not have been um, the best ways of approaching education for teens. Um, and so we are, we have flipped a lot of the, the structure and the education. And part of that is that we've, we've learned that we cannot be heavy focused on, on history and on facts um, and really shifting more into emotion, teaching empathy in some capacities. It's really redirecting and um, kind of going about the education in a way of thinking that maybe these teens probably should have had this education previously, but they're not necessarily there, um, of, you know, how do you have dialogue? How do you have conversations? How do you disagree with somebody in respectful ways? Um, you know, and a lot of that happens in a pluralistic community or, you know, when thinking about the difficulties with um, Israel, right, and understanding the nuance of Israel. And so a lot of the Holocaust education has actually shifted into conversations about, you know, who am I as an individual? What does that mean for my past? You know, where am I coming from? What does this mean? And how is this going to take me forward? And that forward piece is, you know, what is, how are you going to be Jewish in your life? You know, how are you going to be um, engaged with Israel? Um, how do you want to advocate for Israel? What does that look like for you? Um, and so a lot of the education has shifted to um, a more broader education of, of the march, not just about the Shoah. Um, I think that the Shoah gives us um, the, the opportunity to have the conversation and to start thinking about the larger pieces. Maybe I'll just take one step back. What's your 30 second pitch about the March of the Living? Just so all of our listeners understand when you say the March, what do you mean when you say the March? Yeah, the March um, to me is a six month educational program that culminates in two weeks, um, taking seniors in high school. Our group takes only seniors in high school to Poland and Israel um, during Yom HaShoah um, in Poland. And we take them to Israel on Yom HaZikaron to commemorate and Yom HaTzma'ut to celebrate. Um, and so it is all of that combined. Okay. All right. So obviously this year the march didn't go ahead and we'll talk a bit about that in a second, but I am interested in this piece where um, I mean, this is clear um, in some ways and um, sensitive in other ways that what you're talking about describing is a, is a trip or an experience, but it's also a manipulation, right? It's a manipulation of emotion. It's a juxtaposition of places. Um, and what would you say to people who talk about um, this whole notion of taking these kids from the horrors of Auschwitz to the, the joy of Israel? Like what's going on intellectually and emotionally for these kids? And here I think I should be careful. In educational language, the word manipulation is not necessarily as negative as it might sound in other contexts. Um, we don't like to use it in the same way we don't like to use the word indoctrination, um, but we all understand that most education, if not all education, has ideological baggage behind it and with it. So therefore, how do you play that sort of scenario out when you're talking about it? Yeah, it's a, it's a big question. I think that, um, you know, in, instead of this concept of man, manipulation, I think that we're creating moments um, and we're creating opportunities um, to um, explore and to feel um, and to, I think, uh, really connect. Um, 
so one thing I have the privilege of doing right now, separate from my work with Sage, is I'm actually doing a, a, a qualitative research study on the March of Living from 1988 to 2014. I just finished my sixth interview yesterday. And I mean, I, I, I haven't even transcribed everything, but what, what I do see is that the, the, the people that went through the program uh, and varying in age right now, they're reflecting that it was so pivotal that they had the opportunity to shift from Poland to Israel and learn that it's okay to shift their emotions. And, um, and even on the trip itself, they said that one of the best things that they learned from it, um, and this was a few people, I have to go and really sift through the data, but they said that they were able to learn that it's okay to sing and celebrate and then it was okay to cry. And I think that that speaks a little bit to our Judaism, right? We have times of deep sorrow and we have times of celebration, even, you know, today, right? What in, is, Israel knows how to do it best, right? They know from Yom HaZikaron to Yom HaTzma'ut, they can snap into it. And um, I think as adults, it can be more difficult for us, but I think for teenagers who are so able to snap in and out of engagement. I mean, we see it with their phones, right? One one second they're they're with us, and one second they're out. It's it gives them the permission to to explore in a different way and to to move in and out. So, I think that that's what it provides. It gives them that space. So this might sound like a a somewhat silly or trite question, but is it okay to cry in Jewish education? <laughs> As the educator, or. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the kids. Let's talk about the students for now. <laughs> I know, yeah. I, yes, and I think it's okay not to. Um, you know, one of the biggest narratives that that came out from the march um, when I stepped in, um, the old leadership kept saying, you're going to cry, you're going to feel, you're going to do, and this is going to be transformational. And when I came in, I said, we, we can't say that this is transformational you will be transformed. Like we can't zap people and transform them. We also can't zap them and say, you're going to cry. And quite frankly, more and more teens I see year after year are not emoting when they are on, on the ground. And so it is okay if they do, um, but it's okay if they don't. And I think that, you know, now we're trying to shift and, you know, talk more about those coping mechanisms in a different way, as opposed to just letting them ride with it um, you know, a lot of the research that says, you know, there's trauma associated with bringing, you know, kids to Poland. What is that? You know, what are we doing to them? I think that this is a way to combat that of, of really giving them the tools to talk about their emotions. All right. Well, I'm going to make a massive leap now and talk about um, the, the current situation that we're in at the moment. But I really want to focus on, I mean, in your case and in some other cases, it's pretty obvious what the changes have been to programming. I've spoken with other people before about things going online and providing social connect. But what do you think is going to be different? Like coming out of all of this, can you already begin to forecast or begin to make predictions as to how you think Jewish engagement or teen engagement or education might look differently on the other side of all of this? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I've been thinking about this a lot. And I, I get stuck on the first piece of meeting with somebody in Miami. We're a culture of of kissing, right? Of of hugging, right? Cheek to cheek, or you know, 
mouth cheek, right? We, we have this, you know, way of expressing this, you know, welcoming to other people. And so I keep getting stuck that that is going to shift so dramatically. And if our greeting, our first thing is going to shift, everything is going to unravel, you know, and, um, and I think that that's, that's a cultural, so it just shows like the cultural change that's going to have to take place. I mean, right before, um, you know, uh, this all happened, like the week before we had a, a board meeting uh, for Sage and we had told people, you know, we want you to elbow pump and everyone, and there were several people that said, I'm not doing that. I'm giving hugs and giving my kisses, you know, like defying it. And, you know, cause it's so unnatural for our community. So I think in the most basic way, the, you know, greeting each other, learning how to use, you know, different cues, um, that's going to shift dramatically. And then I think it's going to really frame how we approach, you know, what we're, what we're going to do. It's just that basic piece shifts. Um, I think we're going to be planning for programs in a different way so that we can plan for doomsday, <laughs> you know, different types of contracts, different thinking through different pieces, I think is, is something from the programmatic um, side. Um, and I think one of the biggest pieces is to really figure out how we can show to families and show to the teens and kind of prove to them, and that's not the best word, but that there's value in the experiences that we're providing. You know, there's still value in the Zoom sessions that we're doing with our teens. There's still value in the pre-educational sessions to the March of Living before they go to Poland, right? And, you know, having the parents understand those methodologies, I think is something that we have to think a little bit more about. Um, now, the nitty gritty of, you know, how many people are going to be in a space and all of that, that's certainly going to change. And, you know, who knows what that looks like. But um, I think that that's going to be a big piece. And the last one, I think, is shifting how we're engaging with the teens a little bit. I think that we're seeing and we know that this is a traumatic event for everybody. Um, and, you know, one, can we provide spaces for the parents to help them cope? And two, how can we help the teens? I think that looking at their wellness and um, who they are is gonna be a, a big piece of the next steps because who knows what kind of environments they're in now. And everybody's learning from the small environments that they're in of their families of how to cope and how to deal with the trauma and how to deal with these, these ruptures that are going on. And some are in, are in very supportive spaces and some might not be. And yeah. so our jobs as educators will probably be to help them yeah, it's interesting. Um, quite a few people have referenced the the role of Jewish educators moving for more of the, the social, emotional, connective relationship piece of the equation. Um, I'm wondering how much content suffer um, or will people finally recognize that um, the be all and end all of education was not the transmission of content or will there be some sort of disconnect which takes place? And I think some of that's yet to play out. Um, we are running towards time here. I want to ask you two quick questions to try and finish up. Um, what's something that you're reading, Carly, that you think um, or you've read that you think all educators or people involved in education should be should be looking at? Yes, sure. Um, one thing that comes to mind is a book called NeuroTeach. Um, I, I think it's by Whitman and Keller or Kelman, I'm forgetting. Um, but I... I think it's really great because it helps to think about how 
we're teaching to the brain and that brain, how the brain is developing. Um, and especially for teenagers, really thinking through those, that years of 13 to 25, they say, um, that, you know, how, how are the responses taking place? And then how can we, you know, I think it's helped me to readjust how the teens can engage with stuff, you know, um, they're still learning, they're still evolving. And so it's a great book for that. Don't blame them. It's just their brains haven't fully developed yet. Um, anyway, oh, good. All right. And finally, um, is there an educator in your life that you would like to pay tribute to, someone who has influenced you? Here's an opportunity to name them and tell us how they have influenced who you are. Um, that's It's so hard for me. I have had so many fantastic educators, um, but I think that if I could name a group of people, um, and not formal Jewish educators, even though they may have done some formal Jewish education, it's my family. They taught me about being Jewish and um, Judaism in such a unique way. Um, and we've all taken paths into the Jewish world in different capacities. You know, my sister's a rabbi, my other sister's a, you know, psychologist, my brother's on his way for that. Um, and my mother used to do, you know, Jewish song leading. Um, so, you know, we've all done different things um, in that capacity um, and given to the Jewish world. And I think that um, they're kind of my, my guiding force of, of being a good human and being a good Jewish human. Um, and so I think that that's the, the best educating group I could speak to. So you heard it here first, listeners, on this Elevating Jewish Education series. Um, stay tuned for I think there are going to be some dramatic developments and advancements in the field of family education in the Jewish space. I think um, this became very apparent to many families over Passover um, when you weren't able necessarily to outsource your Seder to your cousin or the grandparent and you were now responsible yourself. And I think we're going to see that ripple effect for a lot of families and really taking seriously what their role is in transmitting of Jewish education and Jewish events and cycles in people's, um, in people's lives. Um, but with that, um, we have covered so much territory in such a short amount of time. There are so many other things I'd like to be able to talk to you about. Carly can't hear me for these final moments, um, but it's lucky because I'm just signing off now anyway. Um, so I am going to thank everybody. Thank Carly um, for everything that she has contributed to today's conversation. And <laughs> we are going to sign off now. And Carly, um, thank you very much for joining us. So good to have you and so good to have Miami in the house. And I look forward to being able to meet with many other Jewish educators from all around the country, if not the world, in short time. Thanks, Carly. Stay safe, stay healthy, um, and to all of you as well. Mm -hmm.